0: to the book of Genesis, and we're going to be beginning in chapter 11. One of my favorite Bible personalities is Abraham. Abraham was known as the friend of God. And what a noble aspiration for any of us to be known as a friend of God. I would like to be known as a friend of God. But the Bible is very honest with us about the people that, whose records it records. tells us not only their wonderful positive traits and with Abraham being a great man of faith and all, but the Bible is also honest with us about their failures. And we see some of the weak side of Abraham as well as we go through the scripture. And it's good for us to learn from both the positive and the negative. One of the things my dad told me often, I had an older brother, three years older, and he seemed to be more adept at getting into trouble, perhaps, than what I was, but my dad would tell me often when he had to punish my brother, George, he'd say, Bob, learn from other people's mistakes, and I heard that often. And so it is true with scripture, too, that we have the opportunity to learn some from even the weaknesses as well as the strengths of the the people that God uh, speaks to us about. But let's begin in in Genesis chapter 11. I want to begin about verse 31 because Abraham, you really have to go back to his father, Terah. And the Bible tells us in verse 31 that Terah took Abraham his son and Lot the son of Haran, the son's uh, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law. So here we have uh, Abraham with his nephew, Lot, and Ab- Abram's wife, and he, they went forth from the Ur of the Chaldees. you got Terah and Abraham and Sarah and Lot went forth from the Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. So they're headed to the land of Canaan, but they never really got there. Because the Bible says that they came into the land of Haran and they dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died, not in Canaan, he died in Haran. He left to go into Canaan, but he fell short of really what his dream was. He was content to live in Haran. He lived there and he died there, never having arrived in Canaan. Well, then God came to Abraham and he told Abraham, he said, I want you to to leave Ur of the Chaldees there in in Haran and I want you to fulfill the dream that I had given to to your father, uh, Terah. And so in verse 12, now the Lord said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Well, Heron really wasn't the first one to fall short of the dream that God had given to him. Uh, well, he was the first one. I should say he wasn't the only one. I think of Moses. Moses had dreamed of someday being in the promised land. Moses didn't make it to the promised land. He died there on the mountain because of the sins that he had committed and God did not allow him to be able to see his dream fulfilled. After they, when they were about ready to cross the Jordan River, you remember the two and a half tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh? and how that when they came to the banks of the Jordan and God had promised them Canaan and Canaan was that wonderful, beautiful land flowing with milk and honey, the land that God had promised Abraham so many years ago and they got to the Jordan banks and they looked around and they saw the land that they were and they were, they were farmers, they had cattle and they said, this is good land and we can feed our cattle here and we're very content to just stay here. We, we don't need to go across and fight the battles. Remember Moses came to them and he said, are you going to discourage the hearts of your brethren and stay here and be idle while your brothers go and they fight the battles? And so they came to Moses and they said, well, Moses, we are willing to go and fight. If you'll allow us some time to be able to build shelters for our families here, we'll go and we'll fight with the rest of our brethren until we've conquered the land, but then we'll come back and we'll live here. But they were experiencing God's second best. It was God's intention that they live in the wonderful land of Canaan. And so it was with Moses, so it was with Reuben, so it was with Terah. Then God came to Abraham and he gave him that promise, the promise that we just read in chapter 12. He said, I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. I'll make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And all of the earth will be blessed through you. And so then we read on in the life of Abraham and remember the story. I think most of us are familiar with it where Abraham took his nephew Lot, took him to the hill. He said, Lot, you choose. If you want, on the one side is the well-watered plains of Jordan and the other side is the area of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, you can choose and I'll just take whatever you don't choose. Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Abraham was in Canaan where God intended him to be. God had made his promises to him. God told him here in, uh, in this verse two, he said, I will make of thee a great nation. He promised him that he would have children. Now the Bible tells us here that uh, in verse four that Abraham at this point was 75 years old. The Bible tells us later on as we jump ahead in the story and we all know that Isaac eventually was born but Abraham was 100 years old then, so it was 25 years from the time that God promised Abraham that he would have children, that he would have his seed, until God fulfilled that promise in the person of, of Isaac. And so the Bible tells, tells us that Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, they got in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and I like the rest of this, They went forth to go into the land of Canaan and where did they go? In Canaan. They were able to fulfill the dream. They were able to fulfill the purpose that God had given to him. Then you come down to verse seven, and the Lord appeared unto him and again promised him. The Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, unto thy seed I will give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord that appeared unto him. And we'll see as we go through these chapters, these early chapters of the book of Genesis, how often, God promised Abraham that he was going to give him the land give the land to his seed and God was going to bless him with his family but as we come along then to chapter 15 and verse 2 if you jump over there and then we're going to come back here in just a little bit but Abraham began to doubt and God came to him and God told him he said Abraham verse 1 he said fear not Abraham I'm thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And God came to him and he said, first of all, fear not, Abraham, don't be afraid. Yes, it's been a long time since I made the promise to you that you were going to have children and that they were going to be able to inherit the land that I've given to you, but don't be afraid. And uh, then he said in verse two, Abraham responded to the Lord in verse two and said, "Uh, what will you give me seeing I go go childless? So he was beginning to doubt. God had given him that promise. He was beginning to question, how is this going to happen? How is this going to be able to to develop? And uh, God responded to him. He said, Abraham, I'm going to do all that I said. I'll be faithful to you. I've given you my promise. I will do what I've said. Abraham responded and he said, but I don't have any, any offspring. And he said, I go childless and the steward of of, uh, and the steward of thy house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, no, uh, to me, thou hast given no seed, and no one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, thus uh, this shall be, shall not be thine heir. He's saying to his chief steward, Eliezer. Uh, he said, He's not going to be your heir. I'm going to give you a child. But uh, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. So then uh, Abraham was coming up with a lot of reasons why God couldn't fulfill his promises to him. And we too can come up with our reasons as why we think God may not fulfill his promises to us. It's so easy for us to look at things from a natural perspective. And we say, well, naturally, this can happen, and this can happen, and this can happen. But it's difficult for us, even as God's people, sometimes to be able to see things from a supernatural perspective and realize that God can do things that we can't. And when God shows up, supernatural things happen. And God is able to do all that he has promised that he will do. And, and uh, God came to Abram then, and he said, I'm going to give you your uh, seed shall be as the, as the stars of the, as the dust of the earth and the stars of heaven. You go back now to verse, uh, chapter 13, when he made the promise in verse 15. He said, for the land that thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. And then later on, if I can spot it uh, here, I, I don't see it under underlined, but later on he told him. Uh, I think it's in chapter 15 when he made the, made the covenant with him uh, where he said, uh, go out and, and uh, I, I will make your seed like, this, uh, like the stars of heaven. And I'm looking to see where I can spot that. But anyway, uh, Abraham began to doubt and God said, okay, uh, I, will, I will be faithful. Abraham then said, well, God, show me a sign Show me a sign that I know that you're going to do what you said. Now we shouldn't always have to have a sign. If God has given to us His promises, we ought to be able to just rest upon His promise. But Abraham, and Abraham wasn't the only one that wanted a sign. You will remember with Gideon, when Gideon, when God was asking Gideon to go into battle against the Midianites, and he started off with thirty-two thousand men, and then God said, Gideon, and He said. Uh, uh, Send them home, and 20,000 20, of them went home, and so forth. And uh, Gideon was facing this horde of, of Midianites. It says the camels were as the sand of the sea, he couldn't count them. And uh, Gideon wanted to be sure that God was going to be with him. And we all remember the story of the fleece. He put out the fleece and he prayed. He said, God, if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, then I'll know that you'll be with me. And God did it. And he still wasn't satisfied. And he said, uh, okay, God, let's try one more time. If the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. And, uh, and he wanted that sign. Nothing necessarily wrong, I guess, with our asking for a sign. But, but God, I think, is more pleased when we just trust him without having a sign. I think of even his disciples in Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives with the disciples and the Bible says his disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And uh, Jesus didn't give them a sign. Again, in Matthew chapter 12, the scribes and the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Remember what Jesus answered? Jesus answered and said unto them an evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas but Abraham wanted a sign and so uh, God told him he said uh, uh, I'll give you a sign and then we we have the the, the uh, case with the uh, with, with the vision that he had and I'm using a little different Bible that I'm used to. And I had my, my little one, and I got a bigger one that I'm having a little trouble finding these. Verse 5 is the verse I was looking for earlier. He brought him forth abroad and said to Abraham, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. He said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And then verse 7, he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Chaldees to give this land to inherit it. And he, said, uh, and he said, "Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And then in verse nine he tells them about taking the heifer and the three-year-old heifer and the goat and so forth. In verse 10 he took them all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece against the other, but the birds, uh, but the birds, birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And, lo, a horror of the darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs. And God began to give him specific promises. It's amazing to me how specific God is here about what was going to happen in the future. He said, uh, I'll make them to be a stranger in the land that's not theirs. Wh- what was he referring to? Anybody? Egypt. Yeah, when they were down in Egypt for that period of time, 430 years. And he goes on and he says, and they shall afflict them and they shall afflict them. How long? 400 years. That's how long they were there. And God was was uh, telling Abraham uh, centuries really in advance exactly what was going to happen. And he said, uh, uh, Flick them 400 years, and then he said, and they will come out, in verse 14, the end of verse 14, they will come out with great substance. Exactly what happened, isn't it? They spoiled the Egyptians. They took all of their jewelry and all of those things. We read about that later in the book of Genesis. And Then he says, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, 400 years. They will come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And so then God confirmed this sign in verse 17, it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between these pieces. And God confirmed the covenant with Abraham. I am going to do what I've promised. I'm going to keep my promise. The land will be yours. It will be given to your seed. And God was faithful. Well, then we come along in the, the life of Abraham and we come to Hagar. And I think most of us are familiar with Hagar, Uh, Abraham didn't have any children and so he decided he would kind of take it upon himself to be able to help God fulfill his promises and uh, that's that's not a good idea for us to do that and Sarah came to Abraham it was really Sarah's idea and she said "Well, why don't you take my my slave my bond slave Hagar and you can have children by her and we have experienced the, the horrendous results of that generations upon generations up until our present generation. But Abraham did, as she suggested, and then, of course, Ishmael was born. But when we come down to chapter 17, when Abraham was 90 years old, 99, in fact, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. Again, you come down to verse 4, and he says at the end of the verse, And thou shalt be a father of many nations. You come down to verse six, and he says it again I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Over and over, God had promised Abraham that he was going to give him seed and he was going to bless him. Abraham had his reasons for doubting God. He said, I'm old, I'm oh, 100 years old. Sarah's old, she's 90 years old. How are we going to be able to have children? And I suppose we could excuse Abraham a little bit because he had not seen the mighty things that God had done. Abraham, Abraham hadn't experienced the deliverance from Egypt yet. Abraham hadn't ex- ha- didn't know anything about the opening of the Red Sea. The falling of the walls of Jericho was yet future history, 100 years in advance. He didn't know anything about the miracles of Elijah and Elisha, the the prophets. And he certainly didn't know anything about the miracles that Jesus performed. He didn't know anything about Jesus healing the blind and healing the deaf and raising the dead and making the lame to walk again. But we have the opportunity to look back and we know about all of those things. And our faith in God ought to be that much greater than Abraham's because we look back and we see what God did in the past and we see how God did deliver the people of Israel from Egypt and how God did care for them in the wilderness and how God did give them victory over the giants, Sihon and Og and all of that. We do know what what Jesus did and the miracles that he performed. Uh, And so our faith in God and God's ability to do above the natural ought to be even greater than Abraham's. I think of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Not in him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. But it's so easy for us to live captured by the natural. And so we we look at things and we say, well, you know, I know maybe God has done things in the past, but things are different now. Times aren't the same. Conditions are different. Circumstances are different. And we can have our reasons for limiting God. And, I, and I'm thinking of, of the challenges that lie with your church as you seek to develop the property that God has given to you. And it's a big challenge. And you look at that and you say, well, how are we going to do that? You know, with, with the people we have and the resources, we have, how, how are we ever going to be able to see our dreams fulfilled there? I mean, things aren't the same as they were. The economy is, isn't so good right now. And, Interest rates are high and the future is uncertain and how are we going to be able to see that all happen? Remember how Abraham laughed in the face of God and Sarah laughed? We'll see that uh, some here in just a minute. But when we doubt God, it's the same as our laughing in the face of God like what Abraham and Sarah did. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Abraham thought that he had everything that he would have in Ishmael. And this really is the crux of the the message that I want to share with you tonight. In verse 18 of chapter 17. Go back to verse 17. It says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. I haven't seen it so much on social media lately, but remember the, uh, uh, what is it, R-O-L-O-L? Isn't that what it was? Supposed to be rolling on the floor laughing. I wonder if that isn't where it came from. (laughs) Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to him that is 100 years old? And shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? Now notice this next statement. And Abram said unto God, Oh that Ishmael might live before thee. And Abram was saying to God, God, it's okay. You promised me a child, Sarah and me a child, but we don't have any children. I'm a hundred, she's ninety, we have Ishmael. That's okay, that's good enough. Uh, Just fulfill your promises through Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael might be the one that receives the promises. And at that point, he had really given up on ever having Isaac to be born. Yet God had promised it to him so many times. And I think there's a real danger here, especially for us, maybe as, as mature Christians. For a lot of us, especially those of you who are older, we get to a certain stage in our Christian life and we've heard all these messages before. I mean, what for, for some of you, how many of you have been, uh, how old is this church first? Let me ask you that. When was the church founded? 1941. 1941. Well, that was before my time and I'm sure it was before yours. <laughs> uh, do we have anybody here who is a charter member who was here when the church was founded? No? Guess not. Okay, so uh, how many of you have, have been a member of this church for, uh, say, 20, 30 years? Quite a number of you. And so you've been here Sunday after Sunday, and you've heard sermon after sermon, and uh, on all the different books of the Bible, and it's easy for some of us who have experienced that, and for myself, I think. You know, my dad was a pastor and and started, you know, I mean... My mom and dad wheeled me to church in a, in a baby buggy. We, Parsonage was just down the street, uh, one block from the church. And, and uh, so from the time I knew anything was there, I don't know how many sermons I've heard. I don't know how many Sunday school classes I've been in. But what I'm, I'm saying is it's so easy for us to kind of get that, well, I've heard all of this before. I kind of know what it's all about. And so I am what I am. I mean, what, what new am I going to hear? What more does God really have to teach me? If pastor gets up on Sunday morning and preaches a sermon, it probably doesn't make any difference. What, what passage he chooses or what he says is a passage that you've heard preached from before. It's, just, it's something you've had in a Sunday school lesson before, what I'm preaching tonight. This is not new to you. You've heard this before. And it's easy for us to uh, kind of become content as to where we are, and say, well, I am where I am, I know what I know, I've heard it all before, I've been through this before, and uh, that's okay. And we're willing to settle for an Ishmael when God wants to give to us an Isaac. We come over to chapter 18 and verse 14, when God appeared to Sarah. And again, Abraham brings up the same argument. Verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were well old and stricken in years. And this is where, if you remember, uh, that the visitors appeared onto onto Abraham, the angelic visitors. And uh, in verse, verse 11 then, Abraham and Sarah were old and stricken in years. And verse 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself. So you got Abraham laughing? In the face of God's promises, you've got Sarah laughing in the face of, the face of God's promises, saying, uh, after I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? The Lord said unto Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I have a surety bear a child, uh, bear a child which am old? Then notice verse 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? When you look at the challenges that God has before you as a church, challenges of ministry, challenges of developing the property and so forth, we need to realize that we serve an omnipotent God. And it's awfully easy for us from time to time to simply say, you know, God, you've given to me an Ishmael, and that's good enough. I used to trust you for great things, Uh, But that's okay. I haven't received them, but that's okay. I'm willing to be content where I'm at. But I want to just challenge you this morning. Don't give up on the the spiritual dreams that God has given to you. Don't give up on the spiritual challenges that God has placed before you. Sometimes we'll pray and pray and pray, and we don't see our prayers answered. And so we just give up, and we say, okay, God, I'll just accept it the way it is. And we tend to be like Abraham when he said, oh, that Ishmael might live. Ishmael's good enough. It's not what I dreamed. It's not what I'd hoped for. It's not what God promised. But that's okay. I'm, I'm content with it. And so often we're tempted to settle for God's second best. The American poet and abolitionist John Greenleaf Whittier said, for all the sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest of these... It might have been. It doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to settle for an Ishmael when God has promised us an Isaac. We don't have to settle for God's second best. May I just challenge us this evening that we'd be, term- be determined to live lives of faith and obedience and sacrifice, continuing to claim the promises of God. God, you're able. I continue to trust you for my Isaac. What have you been trusting God for? What have you been hoping for God to do? Maybe it seems to be almost impossible because of of circumstances the way that they are, but it seemed impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have a son. Claim your Isaac. Say, God, you're able. I know conditions might not be good, but I still want to claim my Isaac. I know conditions have changed, but I still want to trust you for your very best. Some may think I'm foolish, but I trust you for what's the best. And allow God to prove his faithfulness and fulfill his promises be able to see what God can do in our church. Now, I believe that God has great things in store for your church in the, in the days and years ahead. Wonderful things. And it may be big challenges, and it may stretch your faith, And it may take sacrifice on your... And it will take sacrifice on on each one of you to be able to see that happen. But don't give up the dream. Don't settle for second best. Trust God to provide that which maybe we haven't been able even to comprehend. Always those who are pessimistic about the Lord's work, you don't need to be one of them. I remember working with a church out in, in Idaho. Idaho. It's a small Baptist church, and they'd bought a a Mormon building, and Mormons don't have Sunday school as as we do. They don't have education space. They had no, no place for the kids for Sunday school, and this was just a church of about ninety people, and uh, they were going to build this building for Sunday school units, and it was going to cost about six hundred thousand dollars, and uh, so, so we started in, in the, working with them and helping them along that line. And I had one fellow in the church came to me and he said, Bob, he said, I don't know why we're doing this. He said, we and it, the the town, it was just a small little town. Didn't see any really nice houses. They're all, looked like all the houses were like 50 years old or so. He said, we don't have any wealthy people in this town. We're just all poor folks. We'll never be able to raise that kind of money. I don't even know why we're doing that. We're just wasting our time. And so I said, well, I said, let's just wait and see what God does. And so I we went through the campaign. At the end of the campaign, uh, they would committed $670,000 in commitments. And uh, it was a small church. So the way they did it, they, they had their uh, commitments turned in that, that morning. And then they went back and they counted them. And then they had their first fruits offering. And when the, the pastor called me up, in the afternoon. He was just so excited. He said, "Bobby, said I got to tell you what happened." And their first first offering was $90,000 on that one Sunday. And uh, I told the pastor I said, "Did you were you watching Mr. so and so?" And he said, "Yeah, he says, "I was. He said look pretty surprised." <laughs> Let's believe God, that God can do what we don't expect. And realize again the importance the the truth of Ephesians chapter 3 and 20. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus through all ages, world without end. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com.